Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning. Welcome to Collective Church. We are glad that you are with us, whether you're in the room or you're online. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. And we are just about at Christmas. We are celebrating Christmas together, Christmas at the Coves next Sunday. So if you did not catch it, 9 and 10.30. So if you come at our usually scheduled time at 11, you will be late. Get here for 10.30, and then there's also one distinction for next week, and next week only, hopefully. Uh, We need you to register. We just need to make sure that we have enough room for everyone, that we can shift people where we need to, and make sure that we're ready for people. And so register at collectivechurch.ca slash Christmas. It's really straightforward. And if you're in the room, you can grab a card, and you'll find it. Here's my encouragement. Uh, If you would call yourself a Jesus follower invite someone, and even better, bring them. You know the difference between inviting and bringing? Inviting is, hey, you should come. Bringing is, come with me. And so bring people. This Christmas season, often people will say yes to church. And so let's leverage this moment so that people could hear the good news of Jesus together. We're in a series called Dear Church, where we're talking a little bit about the future of collective as we look back and look forward. I want to read a passage and then pray. Jeremiah 29, 7 says this, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that we would hear from you. God, give us a heart for our city and its welfare. Give us a heart for our region and its welfare, our province, our country. Would we be compelled by your love to care for our city and region and province and country? Would our hearts be burdened to the people that occupy the spaces around us? God, meet with us. And we pray and ask that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we need you. I need you. Have your way. We love you. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed in North America, in Canada especially, you ever pay attention to our idols? I'm not talking about like American Idol or the idols that we ha- I'm talking about the things that are trying to get our attention and our worship, our adoration, our focus, the idols that are around us. Do you ever pay attention? One of the greatest idols for us in North America is consumerism. One of the greatest things that tries to draw our attention is consumerism. The problem is that consumerism stands in direct opposition to Jesus. And yet we labor under this place. If I, if I just had enough, 
If I did this, if I could get this, if I bought this or that, if I was able to do fill in the blank, then I would be happy. Then I would be content. Then I would be whole. Then I would experience fulfillment. This is consumerism 101. And Jesus offers a different way. Jesus stands in contrast to this idol of consumerism. He laid down his life for others. He didn't consider just getting more stuff to be the goal, ultimate goal of his life. It was poured out for the sake of others. But the truth is it's hard for us because we swim in the waters of consumerism and sometimes don't really pay attention to it. And some of us, we go one of two extremes. Either we're like all for it. Like you go, I want the newest of everything. If I buy this thing, if I go do retail therapy, then I'll be finally good. I'm going to medicate by buying more stuff. Some of us are like that. Others of us look at everyone else and go, I can't believe they bought that. I can't believe they think that will make them happy. I can't believe it. And we're so judgmental that we can't even see our own patterns. Like we all struggle with this. All of us have areas where this consumeristic drive and idol takes place in our heart. Things that we go, you know what, as Christians, I love Jesus, but also it'd be like Jesus plus like a a job that fulfills me and is perfect and makes lots of money and the people are always nice to me. Like all these things that you go, yeah, it's Jesus, yeah, yeah. But also if I could get that new car and that bigger house, then I would be good. I want something that's bigger, better, newer. And I don't know where it is. Like, like, I know for me that there are times that I feel the pull. Like, I want a Tesla. <laughs> I look at a Tesla. I rented a Tesla with my friend James for one day, and I was like, I want this. I don't need a Tesla. But I compare it. I have a 23, 23-year-old truck. I get in the Tesla, and I was like, look at this. It drove for me. And so you, you find yourselves, or maybe it's like the phone, right? You get, you see the new iPhone came out and you're like, I, I don't even need a new phone, but I want that new phone. I need that new phone. I need that Apple watch. I, I need that thing. I need to buy this consumeristic drive. It is an idol that we see in cultural that is culturally acceptable. But consumerism actually, if, if Jesus stands in contrast to consumerism, What we have to understand is this idol of consumerism actually pulls us away from Jesus. It actually pulls us in the opposite direction. So if that's true, what do we do? Like as Christians, what does that look like? Do we just acquiesce and go, I guess that's it. I'm just going to be a consumer. No, there's a better way. And I want to suggest to you two Jesus-centered ways that we can fight this idol of consumerism. Giving and serving. Giving and serving. I want you to know that when we give and when we serve, that it is an act of defiance, a declaration of war against the idol of consumerism. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but when we give and when we serve, it is an act of defiance and and an act of war, a declaration of war against the idol of consumerism. I want us to look at those things, giving and serving. Let's take giving, for example. We don't often present it as a a declaration of war or an act of defiance. 
Like we go, we want to give, and giving is an act of worship. But have you ever thought about what happens when you give? When we give, we, we loosen that grip on our money, and we, we are able to say, you know what, it's not just about me. We defy the lie. We defy the lie that our money is just for us and best served at our own, in our own hands. We defy that lie with what Jesus offers, which is a better way, where we give a portion of what we have and entrust him with it. We stand in opposition to the idol of consumerism when we give. And instead, what we believe is what Jesus says, that it is better to give than to receive. Same is true for serving. We defy the lie that everything is just for us and about us and centered around us which is really hard in a world that is incredibly self-centered. And if we're being really honest, when you look in the mirror, we're really self-centered. I'm really self-centered. And every single time that we give, we defy the lie. That it's just about me, that it's all about me, that it's all for my benefit. And instead, we surrender to Jesus' words and his life. And we serve others as we have been served. This is why consumer Christianity is so harmful and why the death of it is celebrated by many that are trying to follow Jesus because consumer Christianity is going, church is just for me, for my benefit, my preferences, my likes. It's just for me. But I want to remind you that church is not just for you. The church exists also for the sake of others. That if we're only thinking church is for us, then we go, I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like them. And we're surrounded by a bunch of ordinary people trying their best to follow Jesus who, let's be honest, are works in progress. And we look at all of that and go, oh man, but I don't like what they did. But we're meant to be a community that's going, we want to serve others and we're on this journey together. That we want to do this, why? For the sake of others. When we give and when we serve, we stand in defiance against the idol of consumerism. I want you to know every time you give and serve that we take steps into Jesus' footsteps. We follow him as he goes. I said it a few weeks that we want to be covered by the dust of our rabbi. That happens as we choose his way over the cultural way. It's really interesting if you look at, I've gone on this journey of of better understanding cultural things that are happening. And one of the cultural values that we see in North America is this sense that we're always progressing and we're evolving. I'm not talking about evolution. I mean, like, as humanity, we're just, we're always getting smarter and more refined (laughs) and better. And so one of the things of that, one of the extensions is we're evolving past our need for God. That's a cultural value. If you actually pay attention, you start hearing that more, like, we're evolving past that. We don't need God anymore. We are functionally our own gods, which is not true, just in case you're wondering. And so we have this place that culturally that we begin to go, you know what, I, I don't need God anymore. But what's interesting is if you pay attention to what's happening in research and even science, oftentimes you have secular non-Christian people that are discovering things that are actually completely pointing to Jesus and his way of life. So the world actually points to the creator. So this group of people that are going, we've moved past this, they're discovering things going, huh. It seems like 
Like, like let me give you an example. There was this study that was, was looking at the connection between generosity and joy, generosity and happiness. The study is a neural link between generosity and happiness. And so in, in New Zealand, they did this study, and they were going, like, I wonder if this is true. And they were looking for, they were looking to, to learn and understand. And so this is how the, this is how the research starts. It says, human societies benefit from their members' generous behavior, such as donating to charity or volunteering one's time. Generous behavior is costly as it involves the investment of one's own resources for the benefit of others. Nevertheless, generous behavior is common and occurs even in situations which reputation or the reinforcing experience of relieving a recipient's distress are irrelevant, even when no one cares or notices. For these reasons, standard economic theory fails to explain generous behavior. I want you to know this is a signpost of the kingdom of God. This is creation pointing to its creator. See, these study, the researchers are looking going, okay, it seems to be that we're happier when we are generous, but, but nothing about our theory of economics explains that. Why, as human beings, that we are drawn to generosity as a way of impacting our life and providing joy? It does not make sense. And I would suggest to you that's because it's pointing to God, the generous God who has changed each of us. We are made in his image as people that go, there's something in us that fights against this idol of consumerism, even if we don't pay attention to it. And so you have these researchers that are going, yeah, we've learned that people are happier when they give. And yet 2,000 plus years before that, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so this tendency that we have to go as a culture to go, we've evolved past this. 2,000 years later, we're, we're still catching up to Jesus. We haven't moved past that. We just are missing him. And he's reminding us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe you've heard that line and you didn't even know it was Jesus. Maybe you thought it was just a nice cultural line. Or, or maybe you don't know necessarily the surroundings of that line. Paul is actually writing, and Paul is quoted here, and he quotes Jesus. And in Acts 20, 35, he says this. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So just in case you're wondering, and when I'm talking about serving and giving as, as an act of defiance against consumerism, I'm not just making that up. That's actually in this passage. It's not like I'm like, hey, here's a good idea. You should do this. No, I, we actually find this in the beautiful and active and living words of Scripture. Paul and Jesus all speaking, the two of them speaking together. In this, we see this dynamic of serving and giving. Serving, he says, you can help those in need by working hard. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God gets our leftovers? Like, we work really hard for our paycheck, we work hard for certain things that are around us, and then you're like, hey, God, um, you can have like this leftover bit. I'm pretty tired. I don't know. You can have that or whatever. 
It's interesting. And I think, I think for some of us, the problem is it's because we don't actually understand what God's design is when we look at the idea of rest, a.k.a. the Sabbath. We don't understand what that is. So we don't know how to do that well. So our idea of resting is actually just relaxation where we park it on the couch and we just consume more. Okay, so idol of consumerism, find ourselves consuming more. And it's not like Netflix inherently is bad. Like, you want to watch Netflix, go for it. But, but do you pay attention to the state of your soul? Like, Sabbath is actually meant to be about creating space to delight in God. Creating space for God to fill you up, to remind you of who you are. It's moments where we rest, not just relax, but we rest in him. But I want to remind you that it's not just about us resting so that we can rest more. And then after resting, we'll just rest a little bit more. No, Paul tells us that it's about working hard. We need to rest. That's an important component. For some of us, we are not doing that well. When I hear people talking about the pace that they're living, I can see it a million miles away where you go, not just like the trite religious thing of did you spend time with God, but did you actually allow the creator of the universe to fill you up again, to restore that which you've poured out? Have you actually done that? Because when you do that, it changes everything. But when God fills you up, you're not meant to just kind of go, well, that was nice, so uh, what else you got? You're meant to pour it back out for the sake of others and then come back to him and go, I need you. Fill me up again. I need you to bring life into dry things where there's spaces in me that I, I'm just trying to do stuff or I'm avoiding doing stuff. I need you. Paul tells us that we need to work hard. It's important to know that in the kingdom of God that we are not meant to be lazy. And we can go one of two ways. Like we can be the person that goes, I'm just always rest resting, never working. Or we can be the person that goes, God, look at me. I don't ever take a break. I just go. And we lay ourselves down and God's going, I never asked you to do that. And I believe as a good father that his heart is broken because he's looking at us going, that's not what I want for you. And you're finding yourself worn out and weary and I'm not the one even inviting you to do this. It's important that we rest so that we can work hard. We serve. We want to serve and work hard. One of the cultural things that you see is this tendency to, to serve and to help others when uh, people are watching or when you can post about it on social media. Like we see it all the time. We see people that you go, it's like, it's like they're at a soup kitchen. They're like, you're like, I, it seems so self-serving, and it's completely in opposition. As, as Christians, we don't serve when people are watching. We serve when no one's watching, because we believe that God is watching. God sees us all the time. That for us, the, the attitude is not going, hey, the ultimate serving is if you could be up in front of everyone. That's the ultimate thing. That's the pinnacle. No. The, the thing that's so significant is the people are the people that serve behind the scenes, that serve even when no one sees it. Like if you want to see that model, what I love about Collective is that our team, so much of what they do is unseen. They're willing to serve for the sake of others and 
often it goes unnoticed. Like, for example, production. You have people on cameras right now. You have people that are running the audio switcher or the slides. And the only time you notice them is when things go poorly. Like, think about how thankless that is. Like, it's not like people go, wow, the mix was really, like, just good today. The video looked good. No, it's like, hey, how come it was, there was, how come there was feedback? But they serve for the sake of others. They work hard. Our kids' ministry. In another room, serving and working hard for the sake of others and actually instilling that in our kids. Like, our kids have jobs. You know that? Probably don't because they're off on their own. They have jobs where they are meant to do certain things to serve others. Why? Because we want to instill that as, our, as who we are as Christ followers. We serve when it's unseen. We, we aren't just here to take and consume. We're meant to contribute. We serve even when no one sees it. God, Paul is reminding us that we serve and we give. He tells us you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus talks about money a lot. And sometimes we think like, oh, well, I don't think that's true. If you actually read his words, he talks about money a lot. And Paul actually is echoing some of what Jesus would teach. But Jesus isn't saying that money as a whole is inherently evil. He's not saying that money is the, is the evil thing. Instead, he echo, or Paul echoes what Jesus says where he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not just money, the love of money. I, I want to remind you that having things, having nice things is not wrong inherently. But the key is, do you have things or do they have you? Like, does your stuff have your heart? Is it like an idol held up where you go, look at me, I'm successful enough that people tell me I'm good enough. Look at me, I drive this car so I feel valued and valid. I, I do these things so that other people would affirm me. Do you get all the things that you get so that you somehow fill this hole in your heart that was never meant to be filled by stuff? Do you have stuff or does your stuff have you. The truth is that you can have a lot of money and be generous, and you can have very little money and be generous, and you can also have a lot of money and not be generous, and have very little money and not be generous. The amount of your money is not the indicator of where you are. It's the state of your heart. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. This is why when we give, it's important, because it just loosens our grip on that. It just, it just causes us to go, this isn't just mine. Like, God has actually given me resources, and I want to give a part back to what he wants to do. I'm actually willing to trust him with my money. My hope is not in my bank account. My hope is in Jesus. And I want to remind you, whether it's a large amount or a small amount, the amount is not of consequence. It's your heart posture. God, and I know that some of us, like, you struggle in moments where you go, I have very little, or I don't have anything, and you go, well, I, I just won't even bother. I, I want you to know that God's not looking at it going, um, you're less than, and so at some point, he actually goes, trust me how I invite you to trust me. Step out as I ask you to step out. The amount is not the focus. The heart is always the focus. Our posture of generosity is always what God is looking at. 
And so every single time that we give, we stand in defiance. We look at this cultural idol of consumerism and we go, no, I'm not going to choose that as my way. I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. Like Paul encourages us, we want to give and we want to serve. Because we want to be part of what God is doing. We want to be part of what Jesus is doing as he, as he ushers in his kingdom here on earth. And as we stand against consumerism, especially in a season that is so often co-opted by it, like you think about the beauty of Christmas and how easy it is to get pulled into the consumerism. Like we had that when we first had our kids. We way overspent on them. And then you know what we learned? Like a whole bunch of the stuff we got, spent a bunch of money they didn't even care about, and then we got boxes from Amazon that they were pumped about. Like, just a box. And we're like, what? And so each year we're like, hey, do you think maybe, like, we don't need to do all of that? And I'm not suggesting you're not generous with your kids. Go nuts. I just think there's this cultural thing that if we just get more and buy more, then maybe our kids will love us more. Maybe we'll feel valued enough. In a season that is meant to be about Jesus and gathering as family around him, it becomes co-opted instead as an opportunity to drive consumerism. This is why, as a church, we're doing the 14 days of generosity. Because we don't want to just talk about it. We, we don't want to just say, hey, um, we want to, you to be generous, but we're not going to. We want to be a church that is generous. We want to live this out. So we're giving away half of everything between the 5th and the 19th. Anything that's given, we're giving away half to three organizations. One that's local, one that's national, one that's global. Because we believe that generosity, this posture, needs to not just be our individual posture, but also our corporate posture as the church. We want to walk this out. We want to put our money where our mouth is. I read Jeremiah 29.7, and let's revisit it. It says this, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Can I let you in a little bit behind the scenes of what it's like to lead a church in this season? There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to say this, don't say this, do this, don't do this, be this, don't be this. All these extreme amounts of pressure. And at some fundamental level, it's about a bunch of people that go, I want you to make this in my image. It's consumer driven. Like, I want this to be what you are and who you are and what you say. But the thing is, as a church, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. Now, are we perfect in doing that? Of course not. But we want to build his church. I'm not that interested in what everyone else thinks we need to do. I want to continually look at Jesus and go, what do you want us to do? You're the leader. Like, you're the one we're trying to follow as we build this church. And when it comes to all of that in this season, there is pressure to speak about certain things that is connected to how we are known in the city. The city should know you as, or... I want to just let you know in the vein of who Jesus is, how we want to be known in the city. We want to be known as generous. We want to be known not as self-serving, but as selfless. We want to care for our city. We want to care for its people. We want people to know us 
not by what we're against and all these other pieces, by who we are for and we are for our city. We want to make sure that people see Jesus at work in us. Let me just give you an example of where that happened this year that was so impactful, especially for me. We had a family that was connected to someone that's part of the team uh, is a teacher. And there was a family that had a fire in their apartment and lost everything. And they were in a low-income area. And so she found about it, and, and we were like, we have to do something. And so the team rallied and got a bunch of stuff and, and blessed this little girl. And was it Christmas last year? Was it her birthday? Do you remember? Anyway, a little while later, there was another family in that same school who lost everything in a fire too. And the vice principal of the school, she didn't call the city, she didn't call a bunch of organizations, she talked to the person on the team and she said, do you think your church could help again? That's what I want. I want people that go, you know what, there's a need, maybe the church can help. Hey, there's something that's going on, maybe these Christians who claim to love people actually can do something. Like that's how I want us to be known by our city. And here's what's amazing about that is it's not like we called up CBC and went, here's this generous thing we did. (laughs) No, you know what we want to do, honestly? We just want to change perception just one person at a time. We want to love people well and be generous and give and serve for the sake of others so that when they experience something difficult, that they think, I wonder if the church can offer help. I wonder if there's hope there. I wonder if there's something there. That's how we want to be known by our city. And in the midst of everything that is going on, we believe wholeheartedly that that way, the way of Jesus draws people forward. And where there was polarization and extremes, instead unites people around Jesus. That collective, the word collective, is a group of individuals united around a common purpose. His name is Jesus. And we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. That is what unites us. In, in the message version of Jeremiah 29, 7, it says this. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. So replace Babylon with London. Pray for London's well-being. Pray for Ontario's well-being. Pray for Canada's well-being. Work towards the area's welfare. The truth is we want to see London thrive. We want to see Ontario thrive. We want to see Canada thrive. We want to be known as a church that cares about its city. Wherever you live, your town, we want to know, we want people to know that as a church and as parts of individual members of this one body that we care about our region. We care about our country. We want to be marked and known by our generosity. We want to be known as a community of Jesus followers who want to see our city experience peace and prosperity as Jesus defines it. That we want our city to experience not prosperity as it gets defined in even prosperity gospel, but but thriving as Jesus sees it. We want to experience the kingdom of God in a culture where this idol of consumerism runs rampant. And we want to stand in defiance against it, against this self-centered view. 
And so the truth is, we're going to continue to take steps. We're doing it with the 14 days of generosity, but in the new year, we are taking an active role in figuring out what does it look like to more actively serve our city, more consistently. And you're not going to see a bunch of stuff on Instagram. We're going to just do it. We're not going to post about it. We're not going to go, look at us. See? Aren't we special? No, we're just going to do it. Like, for example, there, and I'm allowed to brag on them because I'm on the outside, there is a co-group that made 100 sandwiches for an organization in the city. 100 sandwiches. That's working hard. Like if you've made two sandwiches for little kids, 100. It's a lot of work. And they didn't do it so that everyone would pat them on the back. They did it because that's what it looked like to serve our city. We want to make sure that in this season as we enter into it, that we continue to take steps in serving our city. I'm, I want to continue to talk to the city council to figure out what is that actually, what's helpful? Because have you ever noticed our tendency to go, I will help like this? And people are like, that's not actually helpful or what I was looking for at all. And so we want to work with the city to go, what's actually helpful? How can we meet needs? How can we serve our city? It's important that you know that we're taking steps toward that, but I also want to invite you, what's your part to play in that? Will you get involved in what we're doing and actually partner with us and go, yeah, I want to do that too. I want to be part of what God is building in London through Collective. Like maybe it's serving. Maybe it's serving on a Sunday morning and you need to go to Next Steps after the service and talk to someone and say, how do I get involved? Because when we serve as a team, we stand in defiance against the, the lie that church is just for us. And we begin to make a way for other people and we use our gifts behind the scenes and up front to care for people and so that they might find Jesus. Or maybe you need to partner with us as we are beginning to figure out what would that look like to serve our city and you need to be more active in your role in that as we stand against and in defiance against consumerism and the focus on self. Maybe you need to give to Collective for the first time or for the first time in a long time. I want you to know when you give financially to Collective, you stand in defiance against consumerism and you tell a better story. And through all of us, we tell a better story. When we serve and when we give, we wage war against consumerism. When we live like this, we live in a way that we surrender all of us and our life to Jesus and watch what he can do. Maybe you're watching online or you're in the room and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and I want to give you an invitation to do so. That, that this idea of us being generous is not something that we dream up, but instead something that Jesus modeled for us. He gave everything. He gave his life for us. And not us when we cleaned ourselves up and we had it all figured out and we were perfect. Us on our worst day. He gave his life for us, paid the price that we could never pray, pay, that are, are distant between God. Like all our sin, all our brokenness creates a chasm between us and God. And we work. Part of what consumerism does is you go, if I just get enough, then I'll get close enough to feeling like I'm enough. And yet... All that we're looking for is found in the affirmation of our Heavenly Father who sees us, his sons and his daughters, and says, I love you, and I gave my life for you. And so maybe today is the day that you first make the decision to, to surrender your life to him. Jesus went up on that cross, gave his life 
and then rose again three days later to conquer the grip that death had on us, to give us a better way forward. And then we get to live in this new life and experience new creation and be part of him bringing his kingdom here on earth. If that's you, I want to encourage you, fill out a connect card. If you're online, click on the button that pops up in the chat and let us know. If you're online, if you click on the button, it'll, it'll actually give you an opportunity to pray with someone. Please do that. Like, we don't want you just to kind of click the button and go, see, that's me. We want you to actually, we want to support you and pray for you and care for you. If you're in the room and that's you, fill out a connect card and tell someone, let us be for you and with you and walk with you. Maybe you're, you're in the room and, and you're hearing any of this and going, yeah, we should, be, we should serve and we should be generous, but I could do that on my own, which you're right. You could go and you could serve in all sorts of places and you can give to all sorts of places, but, but the invitation that we're giving is we get to do something more significant together than we could on our own. And here's the significance of that if you would call yourself a Jesus follower. The significance is we, none of us as individuals, get the credit. His church does. Jesus gets the credit. The bride of Christ, the church, gets the credit. And so Jesus is actually at the forefront, not an individual, collective group of individuals united around a common purpose. His name is Jesus. He gets all of the credit. So that's why we're doing the 14 days of generosity, because together, as we represent the church, we can tell a better story. So that people begin to go, is it possible that my idea of the church, of Jesus' church, is not accurate? And we begin, we begin to defy the lie. As we continue to do this, with these continued acts of defiance, we sow seeds and we sow stories. And so when people think about the church, just like that vice principal at the fire, their first thought is, could the church help? Could hope actually be found? Is Jesus for real? And do these people that broken and messy represent him actually represent something better? Because we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. Here's my encouragement. I don't want you to feel compulsion or, or this condemnation. I simply want you to ask God, God, what's my step? What's my part? And then do something really bold. Don't just think about it. Do it. Because there's this part of us that we're like, yeah, I should, that's, I should do that at some point. Maybe January 1, I'll do that. And like James, when he spoke on the panel about giving a bunch of weeks ago, was saying tomorrow never comes. That's a very true statement. We live in this world, and so my encouragement is don't, don't listen to me and go, well, Tyler said I should do this, so I, I guess I should do that. And then you're living in this place where you're like, I can't do it, and I feel angry and resentful. I don't want that. I want you to ask God, God's, God, what's my part to play? What are you asking? If you're asking me to give or serve in an act of defiance against consumerism, what's my part in that? What's the invitation for me? And then to do that. I want to pray for us, and then we'll worship together. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that you'd quiet all the noise, all the stresses, all the pressure, all the things that we think about and worry about, all the things that maybe distract us from you and you speak more clearly. God, speak to us. We want to be a community of people that are consistently following your lead. 
this ongoing process of surrender. So whatever you're asking us to surrender, whatever you're asking us to do, God, give us the courage to do it. Maybe give us the courage to tell someone around us, this is what I think God's asking me to do so that we have other people to go, we're in it together. God, have your way. And I pray that as your church, both our church, collective church, and all the churches in London, that as we live generous and sacrificial lives, that people in our community would begin to see you. That it's not just about one church, but the church. God, we pray in advance for the organizations that we get to be generous to, that you would use that money and those resources to impact people significantly and do way more collectively than we could on our own. God, as we worship you, we know that you're close. We know that you love us. We know that we need you desperately. God, come in power. We love you. Amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.